This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, Fixer Upper, let's talk for a few minutes, shall we? That's why this is all a mess, is because we have been uh, in the process of renovation, remodeling. And uh, the truth is that what happens in our spiritual lives is a lot like remodeling, too. Last week, we talked about things that need to be demolished and other things that need to be renovated. And I said, take notice of something that maybe you notice in your life that needs to get demoed. Uh, and I'm wondering, how, how did that go? Did some of you bump into something that needed to obviously be removed, obviously needed to be altered or changed? And, uh, or perhaps the Lord spoke to you and said, boy, this, this definitely has to get built into your life. How did that go? I don't expect you to answer personally, but I wonder, was, was it exciting? Was it uh, difficult? Probably was. In my experience, uh, when a person comes to faith, some things change in their lives very right away, and the things that change right away are usually the things that are easy to change. The stuff that you and I, those of us who are followers of Jesus for a while now, the stuff that hasn't changed yet, it hasn't changed because it doesn't change easy. And so it really, it really is a lot of hard work. Um, if you've been to a work day, you understand what hard work is. If you've renovated at your home, you understand what hard work is. But if you've grown in your spiritual life, perhaps you never really thought about the fact that Jesus is renovating, which means he's going to tear some stuff down and he's going to build some stuff up. So, got my sledgehammer here. This is a 12-pounder, I think. It's a monster. It, it will break a toe in no time. So, maybe you felt like you were swinging one of these around in this past week. Right? Just, just flailing away at something that needed to change in your life. Maybe, maybe you didn't get much past looking at the sledgehammer and thinking to yourself, I definitely should swing that at this thing sometime. Wouldn't it be nice if, if making change in our spiritual lives wasn't, it didn't feel like we were just using hand tools all the time? Wouldn't it be nice if you could bring big guns to this job site? If we could start playing with power tools. Um, the fact of the matter is, power tools will make a big difference. So, doing this because uh, our insurance rates go up if I don't. And so... Uh, Way to go, Dan. Okay, here we go. Yeah, really, I'm back to... Okay, well, come make it work, buddy. So, uh, we've probably got enough pressure in there, but if, if you know anything about power tools, like, they, uh, they, they're a little noisier than what you used to. Um, Maybe even the big stuff, right? Yeah. So you understand, power tools make coming to work days more fun. Power tools make getting a job done realistic. What if I told you that in this process of renovation in our spiritual lives, 
that Jesus doesn't just give us hand tools. Now, we, and I want you to understand, there's a reason for this. Um, Jesus does not change our lives against our will. You don't just say, okay, change everything all at once. And he goes, okay, it doesn't work like that. He wants to cooperate with you. And so we have a role. We, we do some, sometimes we talk about, oh, I'm trying to do it on my own. He wants to help us, but we do have to do the work. That's kind of like hand tools when we're trying to make a decision, trying to create a new habit, uh, trying to, to you know, that's, those are the hand tools. But he also provides some power tools, and that's what I want to talk about this morning for just a few minutes. I want to talk about God's power tools. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. Uh, there's also, if you didn't bring a copy, there's a blue hardcover copy there in a, a church in a chair pocket near you. Jesus promised to provide power tools for our spiritual renovation. This is what he said in Acts 1, starting in verse 7. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus knew that to get the, the work done that needs to be done in our lives, it would take power tools. Now, we see high tension lines all over. I've got some right in my backyard. And those high tension lines carry anyway, anywhere from 66,000 to like 750,000 volts. Like it's just amazing. Totally unusable to us. For us to benefit from that much power, it has to come down a conduit of some type and come through a transformer and get it down to that 110 volts so that we can use it without like burning ourselves to a crisp. The Holy Spirit takes the power of God and makes it available to us for life change. He can provide the power. So you say, okay, uh, that's great. How do I tap in? What can I do to tap in to that power? And the answer is actually pretty, pretty easy. It's called the not-not walk. The not-not walk. Say that together, ready? The not-not walk. That was weak. Ready? Here we go. The not-not walk. It is. You're thinking, oh, come on, it's a gimmick. I'm serious. God said we can tap into his power through the not-not walk. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. And we're going through this quickly. This deserves weeks of study. And in your bulletins, you have some notes if you want to take a few notes. And on the back side of that, there's a number of questions that you could perhaps pursue on your own, even better with a small group or with someone. Things to discuss. This deserves some digestion. But in Ephesians 4.30, we read this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The first not is grieve not. Actually, the old King James used to put it in that order. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. But the first not is grieve not. See, I want you to understand how this works. If we don't understand what sin does to this power system, then, then it won't work right. It's like putting gas where your oil goes in the machine. It just does not turn out well. And I've got stories, but I'm not going to share because I don't want to embarrass myself. You see, sin kills the power of God. 
It offends him. The Spirit of God, who is a person, can't respond. He has to pull himself away. Now, what's interesting is when, when we sin, the Spirit of God doesn't withdraw from us. He doesn't go away. Like, wait, wait, come back. He doesn't leave us. It, it feels like that. But the Scriptures don't teach that he actually goes away someplace. But he is grieved by sin. It breaks his heart. Now, I don't know if someone close to you has ever broken your heart. Even after you were crystal clear, please, no matter what, don't do such and so. And they go right out and do such and so. What's the nature of your relationship with them after that? Now, okay, we're talking about our children here probably, but okay, uh, but let's, let's try to keep it general, right? Generally, we don't kick them out. We're tempted. We might even threaten, right? But we love them. We don't, we don't say to them, I never, ever want to see you again. Well, okay, we might have even said that, but we don't mean it. But is our relationship the same? No way. When someone grieves you by doing exactly what you ask them not to do, there's a break in that relationship. Understand what happens with you and the Holy Spirit. Up until that point, he's been working in you to change you. But when we sin and grieve him, he has to stop working in us. And now he has to start working on us. Suddenly, he's got to change this thing that's in the way. It breaks and changes the relationship. Now he's pleading with us. He's convicting us. He's trying to bring a re some uh, renovation to that thing that's blocking his power coming through. So to access the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to, he has to get us to deal with sin. What's the fix? What's the cure for sin? In one word, Confess. In 1 John 1, 9, 8, 9, we read this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been around somebody who's not especially self-aware? You're like, who do you think you're kidding? <laughs> no, no, you don't. Like, oh, you, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty much always on key. You, you just, uh, 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 no, he says, I'm a safe driver. Uh, 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 right? So if we say we don't have sin, who, who are we kidding? He says. But if we confess our sins, by the way, if, if you're looking for a definition of confession, consider that in this, in, in this passage, deceiving ourselves and pretending like we don't have sin is the opposite of confessing. Confessing our sin, it, it's, it's not so much of what comes out of our mouth, although we could talk about that, it's the difference between unaware and aware. Making excuses for ourselves versus seeing it from God's perspective. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It makes perfect sense. When someone does what you've asked them not to do,
everything works like clockwork. <laughs> when someone does something that you have asked them not to do, and it's not some small thing, it's someone that you deeply care about, and what you asked them about was very important, almost life and death. When, it, when there's that much at stake, and they have ignored you and done what you said not to, what is it that you want from them? Besides for them to be in pain, right? <laughs> Suffer, right? No, 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 back up. I mean, because if it's somebody that you love, you are probably going to figure out how to get past this and forgive this and make it right. What's the first thing, though, that you need? The very first thing before we can have a good conversation is probably the fact that you need them to just take ownership of what they did. The first thing we're waiting for is somebody to go, yeah, that, so that big quarter panel dent wasn't on the car when I took it? Yeah, okay, well, then that would have been me. Yeah, that, that's me. You see, the Spirit is waiting for us to take ownership of what we've done. He's grieved, like, what just happened? And we, if we are adolescent, we're like, what, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What's he waiting for? Oh, you mean the car? Yeah, I was really careless. I'm sorry. The first thing we want from anybody else is for them to take ownership and responsibility for what they've done. Guess what? The Spirit of God is a person, and he feels the exact same way. Confession, confession is not about guilt and feeling bad and making promises. Confession is calling it like God sees it. It's saying, yeah, I did that. It might be that we say, yeah, I did that again and again and again. Some of us stop confessing because we think God's getting tired of hearing it. You're getting it confused with the next few steps. It starts by just saying, I did it again. Now, you might be thinking, I don't know, oh, what is wrong with me? Why do I do it again? We'll deal with that next. First things first, grieve not the spirit. We grieve him when we sin. The fix for that is confession. Call it like it is. Guess how long you should wait? Don't. The sooner you catch it, this week, something was coming out of my mouth, and I caught it. I said, yeah, I'm Jim. <laughs> and on the spot, there I go again. Take ownership. Grieve not. The cure is confess. The, the second knot, remember, it's a not-not walk. The second knot is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Big, big memory verse there. It says, do not quench the spirit. Now, what in the world is the difference between grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit? I mean, after all, what do you suppose would grieve the Holy Spirit? You might say, well, I, I guess sin. That sounds a lot like the first one. I mean, what would quench the Holy Spirit? We know that grieving the Holy, sinning grieving, grieves the Holy Spirit is quench the same thing. I want you to understand that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. To quench means to extinguish, to put it out, to put out a fire, to put out a light, to dampen. Confession cures sin. We've already covered that. But what do you suppose happens when we refuse to confess? You see, we become, we're aware that we sinned, but we're embarrassed by it, or we're angry because we don't like failing, or we think, oh, I don't deserve to be forgiven again because I've done this so many times, whatever. And so we refuse to confess. 
Let me suggest that before there can be restoration, there must be repentance. And before there can be repentance, there must be confession. And before there can be confession, there must be conviction. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. When you resist his conviction, you stop the whole process. Quenched. Extinguished. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? The God of the universe loves us. Jesus himself died for us. He is in the process of redeeming us and restoring, renovating us. But we can stop the whole process dead in its tracks by just folding our arms and saying, no. I hate conviction. I hate feeling bad about myself. I hate doing the same things over and over. You know what? Nope. And all the work on this job site comes to an end. Quenching is terrifying. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit can be remedied by confession. But when we refuse to confess, when we refuse to take ownership, then we quench his work completely. The, the cure for quenching, in one word, yield. Yield. Listen to Romans 6. Starting in verse 13, it says, Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, bought from death to life, brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. The cure for quenching the Holy Spirit is to stop it, as, my, as Dr. Bob Newhart would say. Stop it, if you know that routine. Just stop it. But how do you stop it? It's with this, it's a thought. I have been resisting you, and I was wrong. Confession. And I yield my will to yours. I yield my plans to yours. I yield my hopes to yours. You're the boss. You're the boss. I had planned on getting that job. I thought it was the perfect job for me. The door just slammed in my face. And I am so upset and angry, and I don't understand why you would. But you're still in control, so I yield my future to you. The cure for quenching the spirit is yielding. Many of you are familiar with Romans 12. Listen to it from this perspective. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer, yielding, that's the word, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your true and proper worship. Quench not. Don't quench the spirit by resisting his convicting work. If something isn't right in your life, he's leaning on you, we tend to push back, and he says, stop and just yield. Now, quench not and grieve not, those are both two negative commands. Stop doing this, stop doing that. Confess, confess and yield. That's the cure. But what's the positive command? Well, first of all, remember what this process is called. It's called the not, not walk. Say it together. Ready? Not, not walk. So what are we missing? The walk. 
Galatians 5.16. Paul writes to the Galatian churches, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Now, the idea here is simply walking, uh, not so much physically, although physically walking still reflects this truth. It's living our lives. It's the process of every day's tasks, decisions, challenges, achievement, achievements. It's not a single act. Walking through our lives is a series of daily decisions. There, you went through a series of decisions just to get here this morning. What Paul is saying is live your daily life with a specific relationship to the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, we've never really thought of it this way. Imagine if every time you're tempted to sin or you sin, you, you become aware of it and you confess it. What if it wasn't on the books more than two minutes and it got cleared? What if that was a habit in our lives? And then what if every time we're tempted to get stubborn and say, I'm sick of what you're doing in my life, we stop and we yield to him? What if we were not grieving the spirit and not quenching the spirit? If you could live like that for a day or a week or a month, what kind of progress do you suppose the spirit of God would make? We begin to walk by the spirit. His Mind begins to influence our mind. We begin to live thinking more and more like he thinks. Let me just stop for a second. Is that actually what you want, believer? Is it, is it your goal? I, I'm, so, I'm so tired of struggling with this temptation. I'm so tired of struggling with this habit. I wish it wasn't even as attractive to me as it is. That's exactly what happens as you walk by the Spirit. By the way, living in that way, walking by the Spirit, it produces something in your life that is unparalleled. It produces a life that's filled with confidence. Ephesians 3.12 says, And in Him and through Him, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. John said something similar in 1 John. He says, dear friends, if, your hearts, if our hearts condemn us, do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Hebrews talks about approaching the throne of God with confidence. Can you imagine what it feels like to know that you and God are good? Not perfect. No, not perfect. In fact, I sinned three minutes ago. But two minutes ago, I confessed. And about a minute ago, I thought about stopping this whole confessing thing. And I thought, mm-mm, not doing that. And I yielded back to the Lord. I'm good. Can you imagine? Did you know that it is possible to live in a right relationship with him and the kind of confidence that that brings? What does this look like? Ephesians 5 says something that's kind of interesting. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting that the comparison is between being drunk and being filled. Filled is the same thing as walking by the Spirit. How does alcohol affect someone when they've had too much? It changes 
their priorities. It changes their inhibitions. It alters their judgment for good or ill. What Paul's saying is something similar happens to those who are filled by and walk in the Spirit. That increasingly they are affected by what God thinks. Now, how do we get a hold of this? What should you and I do if you know Jesus as your Savior? We know to take care of grieving, we confess, and to take care of quenching, we yield. But this walking thing, being filled with the Spirit, how do we do that? Well, if, if you want to be loved, who doesn't want to be loved? If you want to be loved, then you have to be lovable. Makes sense. If there is someone out there who wants to love on you, and I don't mean like cuddly, he's cute, although that's fine too. They want to love you. They want to give that affection to you, but you have to be lovable. You have to receive it. Have you ever tried to show affection to someone and they will have nothing of it? It's, it doesn't work. If you want to be loved, you must be open to receiving that affection. Thank you. Wow, I didn't know. Yes, you have to be lovable. Guess what? The Spirit of God wants to fill you. But if you are to be filled, you must be fillable. You have to be fillable. You have to be ready to listen, to hear him, to say, I welcome this. I'm ready to be changed. I want to be influenced by you. There have been people in my life and in circumstances, there's questions and we need some wisdom and, 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 and I, we would ask them a question and they would pause. Hmm. Well, you know, and the next thing that came out of their mouth, something that had never entered my mind before, just insightful, godly wisdom. How do you do that? It's the result of living fillable. They're not super spiritual. They're just fillable. The Spirit can send and fill and guide as, as much as fast, as slow as He wants, but I'm here ready to be filled. If a person is filled with anger, then anger controls their life. If a person is filled with greed, then greed dominates her life. And if we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God starts to dominate our lives. Now, again, it's not that you need more of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I guess the best illustration is kind of like a third rail, you know, on the, on the rail system. that got that third rail. There's no lack of power in that third rail. The Spirit of God is just as powerful today as he was yesterday. If he feels like he's far away, he's not. He's just as powerful. But the issue with the third rail is contact. You've got to make strong, solid contact with that to gain the power. And so what is it that is breaking that contact between you and the Spirit of God? His control is by consent. So the issue is cooperation. Ah, see, you thought it was you against him. You thought that he viewed it as him against you. He's hammering away and we're dodging like whack-a-mole, you know, and stop. He stops. He goes, wait, I thought you wanted this. Well, I do. Then stop jumping around. I'm not going to hit you to hurt you. 
Okay. Now, here's my word. Here's my people. Here's my teaching. Here's my opportunities to serve. Here we go. And he begins to press in contact. So if we want to be filled, the question is, how much contact do you have with God's word, with God's people, with the spirit of God? Grieve not. Quench not. Walk by the spirit. Nah, can't be that simple. Can it? I dare you. I dare me. In the next week, let's try it. Every time you become aware of sin in your life, stop with all the, oh, no, no. You think that's spiritual. It's not. Just stop it. You understand, I just feel so bad. It's, it's worth, it, doesn't, it doesn't help at all. Stop. Do one thing. Confess it. There it goes. I was angry again. There's the greed again. There is the impatience again. And, and again. In fact, I'm getting impatient talking to you about my impatience. <sighs> and then you say, see, it can't work. No, wait, wait, wait. wait. It is working. You're aware. And, and oh, how, long, how much longer do you expect me to do this? Careful. How much longer do you expect me to do this? <sighs> Sorry, I am not going to resist you no matter how long this goes on. Just keep pointing it out. But you and me both, we would both like this to change. What do you want? How should I respond? Walk by the Spirit. Wow. Had somebody tell me once they were struggling at work, being impatient with a coworker, and they really tried this, and they came. I said, how'd it go? And I said, well, I think it was progress. I'm not sure. I dealt with the sin. I kept identifying it, and I, and I was going to do it as long as it took. And when it came to walking by the Spirit, I was waiting for the right thing to say, and instead, I got nothing. I said, what'd you do? He says, so I just shut up. Sometimes, that's a great first step. Imagine that. It wasn't that the Lord didn't speak. He said, hmm, is this possible? Does this sound attractive? Then I dare you. Try the not not walk this week. That's bringing the power to God's renovations in your life. Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, all of this sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook. You don't have to do these things to earn his approval. He loves you just the way you are. And he wants to give you the gift of life. He purchased it with his blood. The only question is, do you think you need it? And if so, what would stop you from receiving it? But if you're a believer, can I suggest that somehow we get convinced by the culture around us that it is perfectly okay to live spiritually anemic lives? And I just want to suggest that that's not what God intends. The alternative isn't being some self-righteous jerk. 
The alternative is to actually just let God do his work, and we're humble. The people that I know that seem the most spiritual are the ones who talk to me most about their sin. But their sin sounds so much more attractive than my sin. Boy, you're struggling with that? That would be a great day if that's all I struggled with. Is it possible? There's only one way to know for sure, believer. No one will do this for you. Only you can respond to the Spirit of God and say, I'm going to give this a chance. Lord Jesus, here we are as your children. I ask simply that, that you would work in each of our hearts and lives. That you would help us to become aware of sin in our lives. That we would respond with confession, regardless of how often it happens. That when we get sick and tired of this struggle with sin, and we're tempted to tell you to stop, that we will resist that temptation and continue to yield to your work. And then as we start to look for the alternative, there must be something better than this. We would listen to your spirit. That we would walk, that we'd make daily decisions, those little decisions based on what would honor you most. And our prayer is that as we do that, that you would actually renovate us from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.